Whether you are joining us virtually or here in person, good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Reverend Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister here at the church, and I am thrilled to be with you this morning. I especially want to welcome you if you're new to the church, if you're joining us remotely, and if you can, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. For our visitors, if you would, please go to austinuu.org, click on worship, and then click on the link that will take you to our online visitors form and fill that out. We would love to get to know you a little better. As we work to create beloved community, we welcome all who would join us in a spirit of love. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whether you walked in or rolled in or transported in through virtual space, whomever you love, you are welcome here. You belong here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning, either in the comments online or turning to those around you here in person. Good morning. I'm Margaret Borden, pronoun she, her, and your lay leader this morning. Please join me in the words by which we light our chalice found in the order of service and on the screens behind me. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning comes from Bell Hooks, a black author, feminist, and social activist. Her writing focused on the interconnectivity of race, class, and gender, and how they produce and perpetuate systems of oppression and domination. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom, to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. That action is the testimony of love as the practice of freedom. One of the things that holds First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin together as a religious community is that we share a common purpose. And for this church, that common purpose is our mission. The congregation wrote it together, we emblazoned it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. My name is Kinsey. I use she, her pronouns, and I would like to invite any of the kids or anyone who would like the best view of the pictures to come on up for the story for all ages. Mm -hmm. 
This book is about being welcoming and loving to everyone, being inclusive. This book is called The Big Umbrella, and it's by Amy June Bates and Juniper Bates. By the front door, there is an umbrella. It is big. It is a big, friendly umbrella. It likes to help. What does it help with? Leaves and water. Mm-hmm. Keeps you from getting wet and covered in leaves. It likes to spread its arms wide. It loves to give shelter. It loves to gather people in. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are tall. Told ya. Doesn't matter if you're tall. Doesn't matter if you're hairy. Or plaid. It doesn't matter how many legs you have. Some people worry that there won't be enough room under the big umbrella. There is always room. Our reading this morning is by Tess Baumberger, a Unitarian Universalist minister, author, and poet. It is a reimagining of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from the New Testament and is based on Bell Hooks' All About Love, Love Song to the Nation. Love is caring, affectionate, and loyal. It recognizes, knows, and respects the other. Love is committed and trusting. Love takes the risk of loving. Love is never hurtful, abusive, or neglectful. It does not coerce or dominate. Neither does it spoil or overindulge. Love is ethical, accountable, and responsible. Love does not lie to avoid conflict or to manipulate. Love does not lie to trick or deceive. Love is open and honest, but with a positive slant. Love lives with integrity that will, wills cooperation. Though it is satisfying to love, love is not about getting one's needs met, nor solely about meeting others' needs. True love is made of mutuality. Love is a generous giver, and in giving, it learns to receive. Love places another's interests on the same footing as our own. Love is not so much a feeling as an action, a continuing active choice to nurture another's well-being. There can be no love without justice and equality. Therefore, love requires that we subvert.
patriarchy, white supremacy, consumerism, ableism, anti-queerness, and all other forms of oppression. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Breathing together, we sense one another's loving presence, even across virtual space. Breathing in, breathing out. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside. A place of greater wisdom. A place where universal love, that spark of the divine, resides within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of holy silence together, remembering that we also hold holy human sounds, including those of small children. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of sacred silence together. I invite you now to light candles, if you're so moved, candles of sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience, whatever may be on your heart at this time. As we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart members of our community who are celebrating joys. Please also hold in your heart those who are ill or in sorrow. Holding all of these in our hearts, we now enter into this meditative time, remembering to maintain the meditative quiet when our music comes to an end.
And now we light one last candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. Love is the doctrine of our church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve humanity in fellowship to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony with the divine. Thus we do covenant with each other. Those words are from a covenant written by early 20th century Universalist minister, Reverend L. Griswold Williams. Many of our fellow Unitarian Universalist congregations still affirm those words during their worship service each Sunday, including our Texas sibling, First Unitarian Church of Dallas. Actually, it originally ended with, thus we do covenant with each other, and with God, but the God part got removed in later versions rather than reclaiming the term because we seem to have sometimes developed an allergy to the word God. In fact, some of our churches use a similar version of it written by a Unitarian minister that begins with love is the spirit of this church instead of doctrine, Rather than reclaiming it, we also seem to have developed an allergy to the word doctrine. But I digress. Anyway, I wanted to start with this heritage of centering our faith in covenant. The promises we make to one another about how we will be together in the ways of love, which we inherit from both our Unitarian and our Universalist forebearers. Today, we'll be particularly considering how our Unitarian Universalist, or UU, faith has begun to much more explicitly reclaim also centering our faith in a theology of universal love bequeathed to us by that second U, universalism. Now, This religious community, our church, has a covenant that we call our covenant of healthy relations. And I think that's wonderful because that title acknowledges that love isn't just a feeling. It is also a verb. We have to know what actions we'll take, how we can live out love as a religious community on an ongoing basis. Well, at our December congregational meeting, we adopted a new version of our covenant as a result of the great work of our healthy relations team, Julie Pache, Tomas Medina, and our lay leader this morning, Margaret Borden. They listen carefully to you, folks from the congregation, and they engaged with one another in some great discussions to discern how our covenant might better help us embrace things like our UU Eighth Principle and its call for us to dismantle racism and oppression. So, to begin, I'd like to invite Julie, Tomas, and Margaret to lead us in a unison reading of the result of their great work, the new version of our covenant, which you should have and will be on the screens. Okay, this is a unison reading, and I'm, we're taking turns, but you will please join along as we go. 
As a religious community, we promise to welcome and serve by being intentionally hospitable to all people of goodwill, celebrating all aspects of diversity, treating others as they wish to be treated, being present with one another through life's transitions, encouraging the spiritual growth of people of all ages. We promise to nurture and protect by communicating with one another directly in a spirit of compassion and goodwill, ensuring those who wish to communicate are heard and understood, speaking when silence would inhibit progress, disagreeing from a place of curiosity and respect, interrupting hurtful interactions when we witness them, expressing our appreciation to each other. We promise to sustain and build by affirming our gratitude with generous gifts of time, talent, and money for our beloved community, honoring our commitments to ourselves and one another for the sake of our own integrity and that of our congregation forgiving ourselves and others when we fall short of expectations, showing good humor and the optimism required for moving forward. Thus do we covenant with one another. Thus do we covenant with one another. Thus do we promise to dwell together in the ways of love, And that love is love with a capital L, a universal love that we draw theologically from our universalist heritage. Now, differing variations of Christian universalism go all the way back to the earliest days of Christianity. Universalism was, and for some still is, a belief that God is all-loving. God would never condemn any of us to an eternity of damnation in hell. And God would eventually offer salvation to all souls. This is why the term all souls often shows up in the name of some of our churches. This idea that God's love is pervasive and includes everyone, God's love is universal, shows up over and over again in some form throughout the history of Christian religion. And the idea that God's universal love leads inevitably to universal salvation has been extremely controversial also throughout Christian history. It turns out a lot of people really hate it when you get rid of hell. More on that shortly. It was here in America, though, that the idea of universalism actually came to take the institutional form of churches and societies of churches. Now... Our origin myth and miracle story of how universalism came to America and eventually our UU faith involves John Murray, 
a Methodist preacher from England who had converted to universalist beliefs there. After the death of his first wife and their infant son, as well as then being thrown into debtor's prison, though, a dispirited Murray, his faith and doubt, gave up preaching and emigrated to America in 1770. Upon arriving on the American coast, Murray's ship got grounded on a sandbar. While waiting for his ship to get freed, Murray went ashore, where he met a farmer named Thomas Potter, who had built a chapel on his land to accommodate itinerant preachers. Upon learning that Murray was a preacher, Potter was convinced that Murray had been sent by God to proclaim the gospel in his chapel. Now, Murray resisted this idea, but Potter convinced him to preach if the ship was still not free by that Sunday. Well, God kept the ship stranded past Sunday, at least from Potter's point of view. So Murray preached. He made such a great impression that he ended up getting invited to spread the good news of universalism up and down the East Coast of the American colonies, eventually founding a Unitarian Universalist church in Massachusetts. And like many, if not most, origin myths and miracle stories, this one is not entirely true. It was more likely a seasonal lack of wind than God that got and kept Murray's ship stranded. Universalism had already taken root in several other religious sects in the colonies. And in fact, Murray didn't even focus on universal love and salvation in his preaching at first. It was more likely his charisma that got him invited to preach throughout the area, at least in the beginning. So, the story is more complicated than the way in which we often tell it, but complicated stories don't make for very good miraculous origin myths. Incidentally, it is absolutely true that we get a strong heritage of feminism from American universalism. Murray's second wife, Judith Sargent Murray, was an essayist, poet, and playwright in the 1700s. She advocated for women's progress and under pseudonyms, sometimes male, she published such articles as desultory thoughts upon the utility of encouraging a degree of self-complacency, especially in the female bosom. (laughs) She also published On the Equality of the Sexes in the 1700s. Then, in 1863, Olympia Brown became the first woman to gain full ministerial standing from any denomination in America when she was ordained by the Universalist Church. Perhaps the most influential force in the development of Universalism, though, was the self-educated minister, orator, debater, and writer, Hosea Ballou. Ballou espoused ultra-universalism, the idea that God wouldn't condemn humans to hell for any period of time at all, which led to much controversy and conflict with more traditional universalists who believed that God would temporarily condemn the wicked to hell for some unspecified period of time before eventually saving all souls. 
And, of course, the leaders of other denominations that were more firmly committed to hell as a means for controlling human behavior behavior, really hated ultra-universalism. Ballou firmly asserted that God was the embodiment of internal love. God seeks the happiness of all humans. He was convinced that once people knew this, they would take pleasure in living a moral life and doing good works. There's a famous story. Ballou was traveling with a Baptist minister one afternoon. The Baptist minister looked at him and said, Brother Ballou, If I were a universalist and feared not the fires of hell, I could hit you over the head, steal your horse and saddle, and ride away, and I would still go to heaven. To which Baloo replied, If you were a universalist, the idea would never occur to you. Another time, an elderly woman, firmly committed to religious beliefs involving the depravity of human nature, queried Baloo on whether he frequently asked his parishioners, O ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Hosea Baloo responded, No, madam, that class does not attend my church. I kind of feel that way about this church. So, here's why I've given you this extremely brief and thoroughly incomplete taste, this smattering of stories from our universalist inheritance. As I mentioned earlier, our UU faith is reclaiming the relational, love-centered legacy of our universalist heritage that has sometimes been overshadowed by the also extremely important focus on reason and individual autonomy of our Unitarian roots. Though, again, it's more complicated than that. Most of our traditions contained elements of all of this and more. Anyway, in the time since our two U's merged in 1961, we have translated the universalist concept of an all-loving God offering universal salvation after death into a universal love that offers salvation in this world, in this life, in the here and now. A universal love that, like that big umbrella from our story earlier, shelters us all under a shield of justice. Love that, when practiced, moves us all towards liberation and freedom, as Bell Hooks wrote about. The early 20th century universalist minister and scholar Clarence Skinner wrote that universalism answers the primal question of how we can transform this old earth into the kingdom of heaven. My friend, the Reverend Joanna Fontaine Crawford, lead minister of Live Oak UU Church, just says universalism calls us to love the hell out of the world. Our UU theologian, Reverend Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker refers to what I'm calling universal love as being alive and afoot in the cosmos. In this church, we sometimes call it a river of love that flows through our universe. We began the sermon today with exploring how our UU faith is centered in covenant. The covenant that we make with our fellow UUs throughout our faith is contained in Article 2 
of our Unitarian Universalist Association bylaws. These are the promises that all UUs make with one another about how we will dwell together in the ways of love. Well, for over five years now, our larger UU faith has been engaging in a process to update that covenant between all UUs, just as we did for our church covenant, though we didn't take nearly as long. Now, I don't have time to go into the details today. You can find more information at www.uua.org. Here, though, is a graphic representation of the values we would covenant to affirm and promote under this proposed update. Now, being UUs, some of our folks affectionately refer to this graphic as the love flower. And some of our folks derisively refer to this graphic as that love flower. (laughs) However you feel about the graphic, it does illustrate how we might center our covenant in love. Universal love, practiced through the values of generosity, pluralism, transformation, equity, interdependence, and justice. Universal love that, when lived through these values, moves us toward freedom to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. My beloveds, as we face the many challenges of this election year, the frankly terrifying wave of authoritarianism flowing through our country, the war and violence in our world, the rampant injustices, the ongoing violations of the inherent worth and dignity of so many, centering ourselves in universal love is going to be more vital than ever. And perhaps, just maybe, By centering ourselves in that universal love, we can take George Harrison's words from our anthem earlier and make them universal. Give us, ourselves, one another, and our world love. Give us love. Give us Peace on earth. Give us light. Give us life. Keep us all free from birth. Who knew George Harrison might be a universalist? (laughs) Amen. Please join me in the words by which we extinguish, extinguish our chalice, found in the order of service and on the screens behind me. We extinguish this chalice that the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. For our benediction today, I leave you with the poem Touched by an Angel by Maya Angelou. 
We unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, lived coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its high holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us into life. Love arrives, and in its train come ecstasies, old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. Yet if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity. In the flush of love's light, we dare to be brave. And suddenly we see that love cost all we are and will ever be. Yet it is only love that sets us free. May the congregation say amen, amen. and blessed be. blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.